0: You're listening to Alamo City Limits Podcast with Noah Magaro george the official San Antonio Spurs podcast of Pounding the Rock and SB Nation.
1: What's going on, Spurs fans? Welcome back to Alamo City Limits, the official San Antonio Spurs podcast of SB Nation and Pounding the Rock. As always, I'm your host, Noah Magaro george and that's my co-host, Damian Bartonek. Man, how are you feeling now that the season is officially over for the Silver and Black?
0: Man, i I don't know, man. I mean, it was a fun (laughs) year. So, like, you know, for the listeners, this was my first year covering uh, the Spurs for Pounding the Rock. I definitely, in the offseason, you know, want to do my best to do as many kind of draft pieces and just pieces in general about the team. But I think for me, what I enjoyed, not only as a member of, you know, Pounding the Rock now and watching the Spurs throughout the years, I just really got a chance to learn so much. Even though the Spurs weren't winning very much. I learned so much as a writer, man. I think, honestly, that's what I took most away from this year. And that's one thing that I'm kind of just feeling kind of, you know, reflecting on a little bit is just this entire experience, bro. That's just kind of where I'm at.
1: (laughs) I feel that a hundred percent. And this was my third season with Pounding the Rock, kind of my third season writing about the Spurs, covering the Spurs. My second year having media credentials to do the Zoom meetings and stuff. And I'm not going to lie. I think for me, this year was probably the most emotionally draining. Like, you know, <laughs> I-, I texted you a bunch of times throughout the season, like, frustrated or annoyed or whatever. Like, I definitely enjoyed the highs and lows, and I know that they lost a lot of games, like you mentioned. But for 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 me, part of it was like—and and I love Spurs fans. I love every Spurs fan. I'm not going to tell fans how to be fans, but there was a lot of really— and I know toxic is kind of a word that people laugh at, but there was a lot of toxic discourse about, you know, this player is this, this player is that. Oh, the Spurs are going to be this. Oh, the Spurs are going to be that. Oh, they shouldn't tank. Oh, they should tank. Oh, you know, DeJounte is, you know, all NBA or all-star or most improved. Like, there was just so much discourse that honestly probably didn't need to happen, and that was so divisive. And so this whole year, really, it it was exhausting. It was fulfilling. I enjoyed it. Definitely enjoyed it. I don't. I don't take any of this for granted because I. I, I don't, I'm not guaranteed this opportunity to do what I do. But just a long year, interesting year, and man, we'll get right into it. But just so our listeners know, we're recording this podcast April seventeenth. It's about nine twenty three p.m. Central Time. But as we mentioned a few moments ago, the Spurs' their season is done. They lost to the Pelicans one hundred three to one thirteen in the first round of the Western Conference Play-in Tournament. And I think now is the perfect time for us to review some of our preseason predictions, maybe break down some of what went wrong for this team in 2021-2022. And before we get into those topics, Dame, why don't we start with the question, what did we learn from their postseason contest against their divisional rivals? I'm talking about the playing game. So I'll let you go first, and then I'll expand upon that, and we'll we'll continue to dive deeper.
0: Yeah, I think for me, I didn't really learn anything from their playing game to be quite honest with you Noah this is the team that we've kind of seen throughout the entire season whether it's you know a team that fights hard like we saw right they had a pretty big they were down pretty big in the second and third quarter end up coming back making a close what the run what was it four or five minutes left in the game I mean I don't think anyone thought the Spurs were going to come back and win it but hey they're a really tough team they've always been that all year but they're limited, right? Like defensively, they haven't been a great team all year. They only gave up 113 points, which I mean, really, I, I mean that's I don't think that's too much in the modern NBA, right? Teams are getting that honestly pretty yeah yeah <laughs> on yeah, a yeah. regular basis. But I think offensively, man, uh, there was a lot of things that stuck out to me. Uh, I think the lack of shot creation immediately just stuck out to me as something that we've already known they had, right? That was already an issue but i think just kind of just further affirmed it for me i mean i didn't really need this game to know that but at the same time if we're going to be taking anything away from it i'm kind of just taking away what i already knew right and i know that can kind of sound arrogant and i don't you know want it to sound that way cuz i know some listeners believe like sometimes we can come off that way but quite frankly when you're watching this team as much as we do and you're breaking down the numbers and you're looking at it you know from these angles it's we we weren't expecting them to win this game regardless and we weren't expecting them to be world beaters so for them to come up short it wasn't anything I was too shocked with. I would love to talk more about kind of some individual players here. Like, personally, I loved Devin Vassell's outing uh, against New Orleans. 7-13 from three. Uh, just looks so smooth, so fluid. Being that player that I think I've mentioned so many times on the show about being really just versatile and fitting no matter where you go as an organization, as an offense. Devin Vassell fits. That was He was the guy for me that I was just so impressed with, man. I, I think before I kick it to you, one uh, kind of a negative thing that I saw was really, honestly, whether you call them ticky-tack or whatever you want to say, the Spurs got into foul trouble with their two best players really early. I believe Jakob and DeJounte had two fouls each with, what was it, six minutes, seven minutes left in the first quarter? Right? It, it was early.
1: Yeah, and DeJounte ended up having three in the first yeah, half. Yeah, yeah, he was in foul trouble, like, for sure. And and maybe, Noah,
0: maybe you know, to some people's credit, maybe that's something that I wouldn't have quote-unquote seen uh, if they did, weren't playing in a high-stakes you know, game and you know maybe some, there was some undisciplined play there. So, I mean, I'll give you that. But from a broad perspective, kind of tying this all together, I didn't really learn too much. I kind of just it's affirmed what we already knew. Uh, but with that said, it was a really close game. Uh, I think it was kind of, uh, 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 if you could tell a story in one game of the Spurs year, I think this, is, this could kind of tell you a little bit about it. And uh, that's just kind of my thoughts and takeaways, brother.
1: Yeah, and I think that's fair. And and I understand, like, most fans, they watch the game. Like, they watch the game. They're tuning in as fans, right? You you want to see the bright side and everything. You want to be optimistic about everything. You want to tell yourself, you know, so-and-so player, you know, this guy's a future All-Star, this guy's future All-NBA, this guy may be an MVP, this guy may end up being, you know, from the 29th pick into being our best player, the guy who's going to lead us into the next era of championships. And I just don't think... And you can correct me if I'm wrong, because I don't believe I'm wrong, but I'd like to be held accountable here. As people who watch, not watch this team, we analyze this team, right? We're, we're paid to analyze the team, to be honest, to be unbiased, objective with our coverage. And so I'm not l- watching these games and re-watching these games and breaking down these games from a perspective of, let's see if I can find any silver lining, I'm just trying to bring you honest coverage as a, as, a, as a journalist, as an analyst. I'm not trying to sit here and tell you that, you know, I saw something that I didn't. And I think I've told you all year, like when I see something, I'll tell you. I'm not going to lie to you and tell you I'm seeing something that I'm not going to see. And so from that perspective, I, there were 88 games this season, Dame. And I either wrote a preview, a recap, uh, opinion piece of 86 of the 88 games from the preseason all the way into this playing game. And so I don't think it's fair for a lot of people to say, oh, well, you know, it's fine. I, I respect the opinion that, you know, we sometimes we come off as being short or dismissive. But at the same time, I think it it's it's really being re, trying to be realistic with the team. It's not supposed to like hurt anybody's feelings. It's not supposed to discredit any players. But as you mentioned, you know, one game. One game. This is one play-in game. It's not a playoff game. It definitely has a playoff atmosphere. It is a postseason game, but it's not a playoff game. It's against a team that also was more than 10 games under 500. I just don't know that there's any one thing that I can take away and say, yep, that's that's what we needed to know the whole... Like, no. We had 87 games before that to figure out what this team was, who these players are, what they might be capable of, what this team's outlook looks like for the future or even for just the end of this season. And so I'm in a total agreement with you here that I don't think we really learned anything. And that's okay. You don't, we don't need to come away with some grand take. We don't need a hot take. We don't need this, you know, controversial, bold opinion. We're just trying to give you an honest opinion about what we saw. And I like what you said about Devin, and I think we can expand upon that a little bit because I do want to talk about three players in particular from this game. You started out with Devin Vassell, so if there's anything else you want to talk about Devin-wise— you can totally do that, or we can move on to the next player, or I can continue to expand upon Devin.
0: Yeah, uh, we can move on from Devin, and I guess I'll take over with the player that I think you're going to bring up next, which would be Keldon Johnson, if I'm correct, right? Is that, yeah, that you're going to yeah. move So yeah. I'm going to say my piece, and then I'm going to throw it to you really quickly. So for me, Keldon Johnson's first half, I literally texted you this in the middle of the game. I said, everything that Keldon was doing these first 25 games of the year, he did in that first half, L- legitimately, whether it's tunnel vision on drives to the basket, whether it's just really a reckless abandoned nature when t- you know putting the ball on the floor in general. Uh, defensively, there were some issues there as well. It was literally Keldon Johnson, Noah, from the first 25 games when it comes to his offensive ability. And New Orleans kind of played him really, really well. You know what I mean? They were really forcing him to put the ball on the floor. and And I think in general, what you saw was a guy that was starting to press a little bit. And again, back to that point I made earlier, maybe if you're going to say, well, we needed to see him in a pressure situation like this to see what you were getting okay, right, okay, but man, this really kind of just shows that when he's struggling a little bit, there is a little bit of tendency, whether it's in the subconscious as a basketball player, to kind of go back to what he knows, right, and so we're seeing there's still a way to go there, right, he's not all the way there, He he's not that 100, 110 million dollar player that some people said he is, right, but at the same time, that second half really showed his growth again because what happened? Yeah. He went right back into the swing of things, right back into what he knows. So you kind of saw the tail of Kelvin Johnson throughout the season in that game a little bit for me, uh, especially on the offensive end. Because defensively, I don't know about you, Noah, I don't think he's an, a high-end like elite defender. I think he's an okay defender, right? I, I don't think he's anything quote-unquote special. Uh, but in that case, offensively, is kind of the big thing that stuck out to me with him. And I think the tail of two halves really kind of, told a little bit of the story, what Keldon Johnson's years has kind of been like from my perspective.
1: Yeah, no, I, I think that's perfect. And I did want to say one thing before we moved on to any other players or even went further in depth on Keldon, as I saw these people on Twitter, it's not one individual in particular, it's several people who were like, well, if you had that energy for DeMar DeRozan last year, then you better keep the same energy <laughs> yeah. for like Keldon Johnson or DeJounte Murray. And it's like, Look, man, I I understand they didn't necessarily play well, and neither of them shot particularly well from the floor. Keldon didn't hit a single three, 0 of, 0 of 6 from a three-point range in this game. But, again, it's one game. There's a lot of variance in one game. It's hard to read into the performance in one game. But we can't analyze one game. And so I really liked what you brought up in terms of, look, he came out in the first half. He looked like the Keldon of old at the beginning of the season, reckless drives, committing turnovers, offensive fouls, really forcing things at the rim not really looking for teammates, and then he made an adjustment at halftime, and I think that's all you can really ask of him. Do I think he is the player who finished out the season averaging, you know, 22 points per game, basically, over his last 10 or 12 games? No, I don't really think he's quite there. I think it was a mix of competition. I think there were other guys who were out, like DeJounte Murray, Devin Vassell, Lonnie Walker, Yaka Pertl, who gave him an opportunity to have the ball in his hands more, and I think in the long run, it's going to help his development. But in terms of this one game, again, really love that he was able to bounce back in a sense. So shout out to to Keldon for that. He's not quite where we want him to be, but he showed some really nice strides. Now we can move on to, I think, the player who, who was under the largest microscope of everybody, which obviously, Dame, it's DeJounte Murray. I'll talk a little bit about him, and then I'll throw it to you. you no, know, he scored 16 points, 5 of 19 shooting, Herb Jones, Jose Alvarado, Jonas Valanciunas, they were a large part of that. He wasn't able to finish over Valanchunas when he got to the rim. He hardly was able to get to the rim because Herb Jones did such a good job locking him up. And then a guy like Jose Alvarado was able to sneak around, make life hard for him on ball, on switches. He was, you know, really pesky as a help defender. And so I think about DeJounte Murray in this game, and I want to give him the benefit of the doubt. You know, he, he was out six games right he had an upper respiratory illness he lost seven eight pounds we can make any excuse in the book look Brandon Ingram missed like the last month of the season he was in and out of the lineup he had not played for pretty much the same amount of time as DeJounte and he came in he played well blah 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 so I don't want to make it about one game in particular but I also think about last year's plan Dame and as you mentioned this team is lacking self-creation and DeJounte is their best self-creator But I don't think he's elite in that regard. They're going to have to, and we'll talk about this later on the podcast, but they're going to have to find a way to either put a 1A or 1B by him who's a more natural scorer. Last year's plan, 10 points, 4 of 17 shooting against the Grizzlies. Similarly had long defenders, guys who could stay in front of him. You know, we know DeJounte loves to finish with length. He's gotten better at finishing at the rim. But if you guys got guys who are able to really stifle him and stop him from doing what he wants to do, getting to his spots... Even when he gets to his spots, forcing him to shoot over length, like that—that's th- really tough. And so when I when I think about Dejounte this year, this is not just a one game problem. It wasn't like okay, one bad game against the Pelicans. Look, outside of the 31 point outburst he had this season, the other four matchups, including this one, he only shot 34.4 percent against New Orleans this season. That's four games where he just essentially laid an egg. Did he get you know? Did he distribute the ball to his teammates? Sure. Was he? Did he turn it over that much? Not really. Was he still rebounding the ball at a good rate? Yes. But I think at the end of the day, they're going to have to find an upgrade over DeJounte Murray as the guy who was the guy. That's not to say DeJounte Murray is not a fantastic player, Dame. He's an all-star. But I'd love to hear your thoughts on that, maybe expand upon that a little bit. And again, this is not like a shot at DeJounte. Fantastic success story. 29th overall pick to an all-star. But we've said it multiple times on the podcast. Not all all all-stars are created equal. So... For
0: me, I have some thoughts on DeJounte that will kind of segue into our next topic. Uh, I don't know if you kind of want me to touch on my thoughts just right now already. or Because I feel like it's kind of a good spot to go. But I don't know how you're feeling. If you're feeling like that, we can do it. If not, we can keep it pushing. Whatever, you, whatever whatever you
1: feel comfortable with, man. Right. Whatever you want to do.
0: Okay. So so here's the thing with DeJounte. And I, and I echo what you say. Uh, especially when it comes to shot creation and his offensive ability. And how you mentioned how... This isn't one game we're taking this from. Rather, this has been an all-kind-of-year thing. It's really the state of his game right now offensively, right? And so right now, when I'm just looking at the just, the raw numbers just in my brain, in my consciousness, when I'm thinking about a player that's going to be the engine of your offense, someone that's going to be at a usage rate of near 30%, DeJounte's at a little bit over 27%, someone that's going to have the ball in their hands a lot, they have to be a dynamic creator, not only for themselves but for others. They have to have a bread and butter that's either ultra-efficient or... They just have on ball gravity. They can do things. They can bend a defense. They can, you know, make things happen, right? Make the proverbial chicken salad out of you know what, right? (laughs) Sometimes it just got to happen. And right now, where DeJounte's at, I'm going to throw, I'm just going to throw out these kind of numbers. And this is not to say he's not a good player. This is just where he's at. So he, from two point range, is three percentage points below league average. From three-point range, he's three percentage points below league average. From effective field goal percentage, three percentage po- uh, points below league average. True shooting percentage, the same deal, three percentage points uh, below league average. Free throw rate, uh, he's at 19.9. The league shooting free throw rate is a little bit under 25. So overall, right now where DeJounte's at, he's not there as that offensive player. And I think in the playoffs, in this game in particular, but just in the playoffs or, or and just in your team, for your team in general... If you're going to have a guy that has the ball in his hands that much, he has to be dynamic. And that's not to say DeJounte's not going or couldn't potentially get there. But right now, and going forward projecting, I think it'd be unfair, Noah, for me to sit here and tell you to your face over Zoom, DeJounte's going to be that guy. Because that's not fair to him. That's That's a lot to ask from a player that... Honestly, isn't fair right now, right? I mean, we haven't even gotten to the pull-up numbers where you know, as a pull-up three-point shooter, he shoots twenty-eight percent. Which, granted, he only takes a little bit under two attempts per game, but that's not very good as a pick-and-roll ball handler. Off a points per possession at a frequency of forty-six percent, which is very high, he ranks in the fifty-ninth percentile, right? So right now, I just think in general where he's at, I don't think Noah he can be your one A offensive talent when it comes for this team, right? You said, you know, maybe you need to find a 1A, a more natural score. I would agree with that. I think you really just need to find an overall just offensive creator, an offensive initiator, right? Like, I like I, I, the name that keeps popping in my head is like, oh, just get Trae Young. But obviously there's only one Trey Young, right? But you just need someone with that ability to bend a defense to actually create and just have a dynamic, versatile offensive game. And I know I talked a lot right now, so I'm going to dish it back to you. But that's just kind of where I stand (laughs) on his game right now. And kind of just the culmination of his season, kind of where he is as an offensive talent for me, that's kind of, you know, what I'm seeing or what I'm looking at.
1: And so I think this sort of leads into an interesting statistic I really wanted to share with people. So B-Ball Index, really great resource for people who want to write about basketball, analyze basketball, break down basketball, understand basketball a little bit better. They have a passing creation quality and passing creation volume. And so passing creation volume is exactly what it sounds like. You know, how often do you create for others, right? So on the far end of the spectrum, you have guys like Lucas Shaman or Lucas sorry, Luca Doncic, <laughs> Trey uh, Young. You got Chris Paul. You got James Harden. You've got those guys. On the other end of the spectrum, you have guys like Clint Capella, Rudy Gobert, like guys who are not creating for their teammates. And then passing creation quality, I think this one's a little not... It's not as self-explanatory. So basically, B-Ball Index takes information from another analytics site called Second Spectrum. And the quality of the shot is based on field goal percentage. It's also based on accuracy of pass. So they measure that. They go play-by-play, play, measure the accuracy. You know, did it hit the shooting pocket? Did a player have to move to go get the ball? Did it hit them in full stride? Etc. Etc. The other thing it takes into account is... Is Okay, now once you get the ball to another player, was that player open? Did you pass them open? Were they already open? Or did you hit them like, for example, you know, it's a pick and roll, the ball handler hits the center, the center is not open, but they put up a floater or they they get a layup past their defender. So they still made the shot, it still counts as an assist. But On the quality spectrum, it would be low because you did not create an advantage for them. You simply got them the ball and they did the rest of the work. So you look at these guys who, let's be honest, there are a lot of guys who are elite. You would consider them elite passing creators. The quality is elite. The volume is elite. The guys who we're talking about in that range. So the quality is from negative three to positive three and the volume is from negative one to four. You've got a guy on the very top of the, of the quality scale, Trey Young. Right under him, Nikola Jokic. Right under him, Steph Curry, Luka Doncic, Darius Garland, and then you've also got LaMelo Ball. And right under them is LeBron James, okay? You look at the volume, all those guys are about similar volume. DeJounte Murray is a hair under the volume of where Trey Young is, but his quality, where those guys are about three to two and a half, Dejounte Murray's passing quality is at .5, so that's on the same scale or rank as guys like Monte Morris, Tyrese Maxey, Seth Curry, Andrew Wiggins, Tyus Jones, Corey Joseph. Uh, unfortunately, even a guy like Rudy Gobert, who I mean, they're not they're not saying he's a great passer. They're saying he doesn't pass often, and you know when he does, it's decent. So I just think we look at this, these things and we take into account that, oh, you know, DeJounte, he nine assists per game, this, t- you know, triple-double that. But at the end of the day, you take a look at the tape and a lot of these assists, we've talked about it before, Dame. 80% of his assists, nearly 80% of them this season, have come to Yaka Pirtle at the rim. And a lot of Yaka Pirtle shots are those contested floaters. And he makes them at the second highest rate in the league, at the third best percentage in the league. And it's not that DeJounte did not get him the ball and put him in a slightly favorable position, but he didn't really create that much of an advantage. He didn't have to do that much to get this guy open. He didn't really get him open. Most of these have been contested floaters. They're not open. So I think sometimes we look too much into the pure, you know, volume, pure per game numbers and we're not really that concerned with, again, the numbers that we have talked about, like passing creation quality. And for me, that's the biggest detractor for people who say, well, you know, DeJounte is an elite creator. And I'm not saying he's not good at his job. I'm not saying that he isn't a really fantastic point guard and all-star. But he's not on that same echelon as guys who pass guys open, who create advantages consistently for their teammates like Trey Young and Nikola Jokic and LaMelo Ball and Luka Doncic and Darius Garland. He's simply just not in that stratosphere, and that's okay. But I think for us to look at this team honestly and see what do they need and where do they need to go, we have to be honest with where DeJounte is. And again, like you mentioned, that doesn't mean he's not going to get there. But as it stands right now, he's got a long way to go. And maybe he gets there, but I think it's first to have an honest conversation, we got to be honest with where the guy is. And that's not in any way to take away with what has been a fantastic season for DJ.
0: Yeah, and I think this is honestly a good segue. If you don't have any other thoughts for the play in, we can segue into the next segment about essentially. I, I mean, you have some players listed here. Something that came up in my head, I would love to do like a quick rapid fire, just a couple of thoughts really quick. I think it would be really fun to just kind of throw some thoughts yeah, out there about this Let's do these it. Players. Let's do it. Let's do it. So, me and Noah are basically going to talk about like kind of what we took away from the season, uh, some of the holes that, that, you know, pop in the front office, need to fill. And honestly, who the Spurs should keep around uh, for the second season of the rebuilding process. So obviously, we you know, we all know the Spurs need, you know, front court depth, uh, versatility at the three to four, a little bit at the five as well, maybe even at the backup five. Uh, you know, their defense was, you know, below league average for a good chunk of the year, uh, being, you know, nice there. And uh, I think overall, this team just needs some juice, right? So I think before we get into the kind of the nitty gritty, I want to throw out some names for you, and I'm just going to. I'll start with some rapid fire uh, with the first player, and we'll just go like that, if that's cool. You want to just go like yeah, that? Yeah, let's, let's do, it, do it, man. I'm excited. Okay. Yeah, no, I'm, okay.
1: I'm, I'm ready for that. I'm, I'm ready to have fun.
0: Okay, so first is going to be Josh Primo. For me, uh, very raw, needs a lot of time to develop. I love your comp from, about Jordan Clarkson when it comes to Josh Primo, who could potentially kind of fill a role like that kind of in year two, year three, or four. Uh, but right now, he looks all of 19 years old.
1: Yeah, no, I think he looks all of 19 years old. We were told in the preseason when he was exceeding expectations that, oh, you know, watch out for this guy. This guy's that dude. You know, he's going to break into the rotation. And sure enough, he did, right? He broke into the rotation, but that was more circumstance than skill. You know, G League season's almost over. You traded a bunch of guys like Derek Whiteaway, and you pretty quickly see, you know, their flashes of the defensive versatility. Their flashes of off-the-dribble creation, but they're not consistent. You know, shooting below 30% from three not particularly efficient anywhere else from the floor. The turnovers are not great when he has the ball in his hands. So not a guy that I say, okay, Spurs fans, you're not out on this guy yet. Just be cautiously optimistic and be patient. Youngest player in the NBA. So we can move on to the next guy.
0: So the next one's going to be Josh Richardson. And I'm going to let you start first, but with Josh Richardson, also you got it. The, the second, the third part of the question, do you think he should be kind of kept around for the second season of the Spurs rebuilding process?
1: Yeah. So let's start with that question first. So I think Josh Richardson, everything depends on what you do with Lonnie Walker, because I just don't think it makes a lot of sense to have Josh and Lonnie. They're sort of redundant, not necessarily in their skill set, but in their size, in like the defensive role they would be playing. I don't know that you can play them a whole lot together, but I like what I saw from Josh. And if I had to sum it up in two words, I would say pleasant surprise, right? Like he came in we didn't really think he was going to play that much. Doug McDermott gets hurt, opens up minutes for Josh Richardson, and he sort of runs away with that role. Even with Lonnie hurt, when Lonnie comes back, Josh Richardson still still getting those minutes. 3 and D player, literally the epitome of that for a decent price. He's under contract next year. I say you should keep him unless you can get a good deal, like a like a first rounder. But if you're keeping Lonnie, then I think you got to move him. It just doesn't make sense to keep both of those guys around.
0: Yeah, for me, I think Josh Richardson in a cut and just kind of rapid fire here. Pleasant surprise is a great way to put it. Veteran presence, another another sentence could be everything that you could have hoped for uh, when it comes to Josh Richardson's arrival here in San Antonio. Shooting forty four point four percent from deep in San Antonio, uh, you know, through twenty one games, averaging eleven points, three rebounds, two point three assists, one steal per game. Really, that low usage kind of <laughs> three and D piece that you need, right? I think Josh Richardson's been excellent. And uh, when you know y'all, can, you guys, after this episode can go back to our trade deadline uh, pod. And I essentially envision Josh Richardson in the Lonnie <laughs> role, right? That's the next player we'll talk about here. Lonnie Walker, the fourth will Star here. With Lonnie Walker, the fourth, for me, I know on that uh, same podcast you said you, know, regard George said on a cheap deal, Lonnie makes sense to bring back. For me personally, I'm just kind of cutting ties. So I think as a rapid fire kind of quick sentence. Farewell, and I wish the best for you because I think personally he just doesn't fit. I think he needs a breath of fresh air. I think probably the Spurs could use a breath of fresh air as well. And I think while he has a lot of potential as an athlete, there's obviously gifts there. He just hasn't been able to put it together, Noah. And so I think right now, rather than, you know, not to say he's wasting, you're wasting a spot with him, but rather than, you know, allocate minutes to him, I'd rather keep those for Richardson, keep that for a a young Josh Primo and potentially whomever you're drafting at, you know, in the top 10.
1: Yeah, and again, I don't want to hold anything against a player. Social media, everyone gets petty on social media, but let's face it. Like, it doesn't matter that much in the long run that Josh, not Josh, I'm sorry, that Lonnie Walker, right after the game, went on social media, was liking things about, you know, Pop's crazy, should have played him longer. You know, why didn't Pop play you more than nine minutes this, ten minutes that? Oh, he should have been in the second half when he was providing you offense. What is this? You know, like... I understand liking that stuff, you're frustrated as a player, and it's not that it's about one specific instance of anything, but for me, it's a guy who's clearly frustrated with his situation, and I think rightfully so to a degree, right? Like, he's a guy who's never really had a consistent role, when he finally kind of started getting that role, we saw him build some momentum, but even once he kind of settled into that role as the sixth man, granted the back injury happened, but... We saw it go right back down the other way, right? Super inconsistent. Even though we got 20, 22, 20 points in a three-game stretch, it was 38% from the field, 34% from the field, 56% from the field. And then he had 7-4, and then he didn't score at all in that game that he got hurt. So, again, I'm not going to hold it against him for getting injured or anything like that. That's not on him. But the consistency is still a problem, and I think a guy like Josh Richardson— honestly, just provides you more as a defender. He's more consistent. He's stronger. He's got a better defensive IQ. He's got a little bit more versatility. So if it's me and I'm the front office, I'm keeping Josh Richardson over Lonnie Walker. Nothing against Lonnie. I think he could be fantastic for another team, but like you mentioned, man, like they've they've got to figure out, do they want minutes for Primo? What direction are they going in? And does Lonnie fit that? And that's going to be up to the front office. But again, for me, I'm going Josh Richardson, and I hate to say that because I really love Lonnie, and I was very high on him for a very long time. But, you know, it's going to be year five, right? And you, you can't hold on forever.
0: Good grief, year five, bro. I remember, oh, my goodness, Noah. That's crazy. I remember the, the spurs Raptors game 2019, right? Whenever uh, he came and hit that three, the whole crowd was going nuts. I was at <laughs> that game. It's crazy, man. That was his rookie year. Uh, last thing on the Richardson-Lonnie thing before we head uh, on to Zach Collins. Richardson underrated part. Well, not really underrated because we all know it. But that veteran presence is obviously felt within the locker room. I feel I think you can kind of tell that, especially on that video uh, where it's he and Primo talking, <laughs> and he's talking about how Primo's talking about how you know you got us talking spicy and blah blah. Uh, you know, growing up where I grew up, we love to talk spicy. You could say you could call it that. So I know exactly what Primo means, and uh, I think that presence in the locker room is the exactly what you need. That's exactly what I tweeted the Spurs account. That's the perfect guy that you need for this young group. Moving on, Zach Collins. I'm gonna let you take this one, kinda a couple, you know, a couple of words, couple sentences on kind of how you feel and what they should do with him uh heading into this offseason.
1: It's a complicated situation, but I also think it's very simple. Like how much can we read into the end of the year where he's playing really well against bad teams? It's the same sort of circumstance that we talked about for the team in general. Okay, you're beating up on bad teams, tanking teams, Blazers, Rockets, you know, Thunder, even the Pelicans, who are, you know, ten games under five hundred. That's not tanking, but they're not world beaters by any degree. So How much can you read into it? In that same breath, this is a guy who did not play basketball. We've talked about it many times, many, many, many times for more than a year and a half. And the fact that he's come back, he's looked better. He's knocking down mid-range shots, historically been really bad at that. Finishing better at the rim, historically been really bad at that. Knocking down a few threes. You know, we saw hints of that before. I want to see what else you can get out of him. $7 million isn't that much. The contract is 50% guaranteed. You keep him around. That doesn't necessarily mean he has to be the backup center. You can look in the draft. You can look through free agency. But give him another shot. Like, Respectfully, there was a reason why you brought him in on such a lucrative deal for the team. One that if they decide to keep him for a third season, it's completely unguaranteed if they cut him before that third season starts. Like, There's a lot of incentive for them to sign this deal. So why not just see it out for the second year? So that that's my opinion on that. What do you think?
0: Yeah, I like that. I think for me, I think my mentality, if I was Zach Collins, I'd be playing a lot of Nipsey Hustle, the song called Stuck in the Grind. And that's what I'd be doing because all year, <laughs> Noah, you and I have talked about, he needs reps. He just needs to get back to up to NBA speed and really just embrace the game again because he hasn't had that chance, right? He's been hurt. And overall, through his, out his career, he hasn't really been able to find that rhythm. So as far as what the Spurs should do, I think as a backup five, there's still there's some potential there. That's always been the role me, uh, you and I have always envisioned for him. You mentioned as well, that doesn't mean you're married to him and you don't draft a big man. I mean, for, I mean, for God's sakes, you have three first-round picks as we stand here today. So you better take a five. <laughs> you know what I mean? You better do that. Uh, but as far as Zach Collins, for me, what I took away from him is, I do like the, the flash, I do like the fact that he did, you know, improve with the reps that he got, albeit against poor competition. With that said, for a player that hasn't played consistent hoops in such a long time, I don't think personally, for me at least, I can't sit here and say, Oh, he's not gonna be this or oh, he's not gonna be that just yet because for one, my expectation is back up five, and if he fails to meet that expectation, there's probably a lot of a lot of other things going on, uh, in terms of, you know, his his health in terms of kind of the fit here. I think overall, it's kind of a really interesting scenario. And I think going into this next offseason, it really is make or break. Because you mentioned, I mean, the contract isn't guaranteed after this year. I mean, you, it's it's really, he's playing for for all intents and purposes. It could be for his career, right? Like, there is, after this, there may not be another, another opportunity like this to play significant minutes on an NBA team, right? Because next year, if the Spurs are bad, again, what's going to happen, right? I mean, someone has to play. So... That's kind of my take on this whole Zach Collins thing. And I'd like to push it again to you for your guy, Jock Landale. That was someone you were really, really uh, kind of, not like, you know, with the pom-poms and everything, but you were excited to see Jock Landale. You know, is that correct?
1: Yeah, I was excited to see what he could do offensively because the Spurs, like, love Drew Eubanks again. He he went on, on the other podcast I'm on, but he, he talked big about, Oh, I'm going to be a three-point shooter. You know, I've been working on it. Chip England actually told me, you know, I'm one of the best three-point shooters on the team. I got to let it fly. Well, my guy, you let two three-pointers fly in your time in San Antonio in year two, and you didn't make one of them. Like, you were here for more than half the season. You had your opportunity to shoot the three. You said you had the green light from Pop. That didn't seem to be the case. So, like, if that's not going to happen from you, and you're not really a great defender by all means, like, Zach Collins isn't healthy yet. Let's get Jock on the on the field. And we saw him in Austin Spurs once he came back from the concussion protocol, from COVID protocol, and he looked good in Austin. And I wrote pieces about him. Like, I broke down the games. You know, he, he can step into a mid-range jumper if somebody's closing out hard on him. He's a really good catch-and-shoot three-point shooter. He's a guy who can really bang down low. He's got some post moves. He's not the best athlete. He doesn't have great feet. He's a defensive liability, but, like, he's interesting as depth insurance Maybe he's a situational big if you need some floor spacing. And I don't really, between the injuries and the way the rotations work this year, I'm not 100% sure he got a fair shake. But fair shake or not, I still think for the most part, we understand who Jock Landale is. And that's a guy who, you know, minimum contract guy, keep him around another year's depth insurance, see what happens. Otherwise, he probably should not be your number one option as the backup center. I love him. (laughs) I, I, I think he's a good passer. I think he's a good shooter. He's versatile in some ways. But defensively, I hate to say it, but a, a little bit of a train wreck. So I'm okay with him not getting big minutes, but at least keep him around. Like, he seemed like he was good for the morale of the team. He didn't seem to complain about any of the opportunities. He seemed happy to be alive. And sometimes you need those guys who are like, like puppies, right? Like, they're just yeah. happy to be alive on the planet existing. <laughs> so it's fine to have those guys around. But maybe don't have them as your number one option for backup center.
0: Yeah, I would agree. I think for me going forward, I love what you said about he's kind of a, he's a minimum guy. I mean, not every NBA, not every every player you have on your roster is going to be making twenty million a year. So I think he's a perfect kind of fit in that role, uh, as you know, your thirteenth, fourteenth man, probably your your third big right off the bench. In a pinch, if you need him, depending on the matchup, you can play him out there as well. But I I kind of, I kind of didn't really expect much. Just like you, we were encouraged because it was kind of a new skill set, right? As that catch and shoot, you know, three point shooter at the five. The Spurs, obviously, I mean, unless Jacoperto is going to go back to Utah and, and flash those little draft combine workouts, <laughs> you know, I don't think they're getting that. So I like that from Landau. I'm glad he offers that. And I'm fine with, you know, with the uh, with keeping him around, you know, heading into next year because that's still a skill. So like I mentioned, that you don't have uh, in a pinch, you can definitely use him depending on the matchup, depending on who's hurt. So I'm actually thinking that's a pretty, it's, I, I really like what you said. I really echo all of that. Uh, there's a player I want to move on to next that's not on this list. Because one of our first podcast episodes, it was the, the it was after the game against the Lakers, I believe, where Keita Bates-Diop ended up closing the game. Interesting. And, uh, I had on him you, on the
1: rundown, but, and then I, I erased him because I was like, ah, man, yeah, afterthought. Yeah. But yeah, let's do it.
0: Nah, nah. Yeah, let's talk. Yeah, so so Keita Bates-Diop, for me personally, I think he's another one of those guys like Landell as a minimum piece. Kind of at like the the four, because the Spurs don't really have many of those kind of lengthier, longer, kind of six, seven, six, eight guys. So I think from an archetype perspective, you need a guy like that. But at the end of the day, Noah, <sighs> respectfully, for a team that has three first-round picks, I wouldn't be, <laughs> I wouldn't be, if I'm, you know, just objectively speaking here, you need players that fit that archetype, but you need upgrades as well, and you need guys that can play right now, right? You need guys that are able to play 18, 20, 22, 24 minutes as a rookie, right? Especially for this team in the modern NBA, because they have nothing at the three and the four in that category, right? So if you need a guy like that on a minimum deal, like kind of like Glendale, then I understand it. But quite frankly, I don't think he offers anything that a rookie wouldn't offer for you off the bat. And I mean that in the most respectful manner. And I would love to kick it to you now.
1: Yeah, I think it's interesting. So, like, clearly the Spurs understand that rebounding is huge. First off, like, rebounding is not the end-all be-all of every NBA game. It's not all going to be decided by rebounding. You could get out-rebounded by, like, 10 or 15 and still win a game. It's very much possible. But with these Spurs, one of the biggest issues is they get out-rebounded, but on the offensive glass. They allow their opponents to get on the offensive glass. They allow a ton of second-chance points. They allow a ton of three-pointers. Their defensive versatility at the 3, 4, and 5 just isn't up to snuff. And so, like, theoretically, you look at a guy like Keita Bates-Diop, okay, well, that's sort of what you want. Like, I don't know if when you were a kid you ever told your parents, like, oh, man, I, I really want XYZ toy. I really, really want that. And maybe they saw that and went, oh, man, I don't, I don't like that price tag, but I can get one that's, like, similar. And so when I look at yeah. KBD, I look at the Spurs going, oh, well, we need a switchable three, four. We need a guy who can kind of shoot the three ball. We need a guy who can really thrive in transition. But, you know, we don't we don't really have the budget for that right now. And we don't really have the means to acquire that. So, you know, we're going with a great value brand. Like, no, there's nothing wrong with a great value brand. Like, it gets the job done. I love it. Like, I, I've I bought the oh, yeah. great value brand all through college. But that's not always going to get the job done. And for KBD... Fine on a minimum contract, but if that's the guy you want in the game 25, 30 minutes, tw- even 20 minutes, 15 minutes, probably not going to get the job done. Well, we know he's not a great three-point shooter. He's not a self-creator. He's got some defensive switchability. He's got the length, but he's not the best athlete. He's not the most fluid athlete. There's not a lot of upside there. So love him as as far as like a minimum contract guy goes, just like Jock, but, uh, you know, KBD, fine bring him back if you want but like i said at the preseason podcast i'm fine if you let him walk like either way i'm not going to i'm not going to lose sleep if you let a guy like kbd walk though i agree with you archetype makes sense for the spurs that's what they should be aiming for but better obviously
0: yeah yeah and i love your point about the parents and the budget thing because so for me, no, interesting, before we get on to our last guy, I remember like 2008, 2009, uh, GameStop had the PlayStation 2. It was a silver edition, Madden 08 edition for 100 bucks. The PS3 was already out. But, I, you know, my mom at that time, I believe, was, uh, yeah, she was still, yeah, single mother, three kids, uh, living in Austin. So I know I'm not getting the PS3, Noah. I know I'm not. <laughs> I know. So I said, hey. For a hundred dollars, you can just give me this for Christmas, and lo and behold, that's what I ended up getting. And man, I've played that Joker till it broke, man. So yes, I love I, that hit a little home, for, close to home for me, brother. But the last guy we got here is Doug McDermott. I'm gonna kick it to you to start with Doug because you have a lot of interesting thoughts on him, person. Uh, you know, for you, and I think for me, man, I'm kind of in that same boat. So I'll kick it off to you.
1: Yeah, man, I love Dougie McBuckets. I still think he might be the best three-point shooter on this team. The, the shot versatility, off, you know, uh, off, off screens, off pin downs, off movement, catch and shoot. I'm sure even a little bit off the dribble if you gave him the chance maybe. Maybe one or two per game. I don't know. But the thing is, defensively, such a dumpster fire on the defensive end. I don't have the numbers in front of me right now. And I would gladly pull them up if you stalled for me. But I can give you the gist of the numbers here of the players who defended at least 400 shots this year, he was the third worst in the NBA. You know, 50 almost 54% defensive field goal percentage. Guys were scoring on him like he was a turnstile. Right? There was it was the Olay defense as you like it was bad. It was really bad. He doesn't offer a lot of versatility. He is the son of a coach. He understands how basketball works, but he has a lot of athletic, you know, deficiencies. He's, he's aging, he's getting older, he's not that long. And for me, if he's not knocking down shots, then he's not really providing a lot of value. And sure, maybe take him off the bench, but come on, man. 13 a half, 14000000 million to come off the bench, I just don't see it. And it's not working. 3-4 with Keldon, I don't care what combination. Doug at the 4, Doug at the 3, Keldon at the 3, Keldon at the 4. That combination of two players as your starters that we saw for most of the year, that's not working. So you got to figure something out. And for me, you're not moving on from Keldon. You're not saying bye, Keldon, <laughs> to, to figure out how to make Doug McDermott work. Love Dougie McBuckets, but man, I think it's time to move on. I, I don't know how you do it through a trade. Through, I mean, it's got to be through a trade. I mean, he's under contract for another two years, but yeah, I just don't know what the market is like. I don't know what they can get for him. But at this point, I'm fine with them trying to move on and be aggressive and stack younger, more versatile assets that make more sense for this roster. Will it hurt their three-point shooting? Sure. But we've seen other teams, for example, the Bucks, the Bulls. They've been you know, hyper-competitive all year. They're some of the lowest three-point volume teams. It's about the percentage. And you know what? He's one of the best three-point shooters in terms of percentage, in terms of volume on this team. But I think he can make it up by committee elsewhere, depending on who you add. And he might be one of those additions by subtraction.
0: Yeah, I like, I like your thoughts on that, and I agree. That's for me as well, I think with Doug, you know, heading into this year that I really kind of was expecting to see, uh, and it's a number you brought up in uh, one of our podcast episodes, that overall his off-ball just ability, outside of just shooting just on cuts to the basket, everything like that would be something that the Spurs would actually use, right? And you had the number, I, I believe that his, his cuts are down significantly, because cuts to the basket, he doesn't even attempt one cut per game if my memory is correct right it's something crazy like that
1: yeah it's cut by he only had like two and a half a year ago which was still pretty high volume all things considered and this year it was a little under yeah, one
0: like and that was one thing i was kind of like okay that, that's interesting right and then i understand the shot versatility is there off the ball which is awesome uh, but i agree with you as well if you're going to run Kelden in the starting lineup you're already a team that's you know lacking significantly in shot creation you essentially have Dejounte murray in your starting lineup that's the only guy that can create offense and you have four guys that respectfully can do it at a consistent basis whatsoever. So he limits you there. Defensively, he's a very big liability. And so for me, I kind of agree with you that it may be time to move him. Uh, I would like to see the bench thing work out. But like you mentioned, $13.5 million, $14 million for a player that, you know, honestly, if we we've seen Lonnie Walker be, you know, replaced with a guy like Josh Richardson, a guy like Josh Primo off the ball for me, Offer some of that versatility that McDermott's kind of showed, you know, throughout his career. I think Primo can kind of give that for you kind of right off the bat. Uh, and I may be, you know, that may be a little bit too much to expect from a guy like that. But I think off the ball, especially at Alabama, like, you know, one of our first podcasts, we talked about that. I think Primo could, fit, uh, you know, kind of fulfill a role like that. And not only that, too, I mentioned it again. You have three first round picks and likely a high second round or a very high second round pick, right? It's like 35, 36. Surely you can find a 6'7" three, whether it's a a, a backup three, uh, a spot-starting three, that can give you at least something in a pinch similar to Doug McDermott and much more on the defensive end. So I would look to move him, I think, for a a good team. Potentially, he'd actually kind of fetch you something relatively well, right? Maybe a a player that needs a new home and maybe a late first or something like that, a lottery-protected first, something kind of like that. But for me, Noah, I think moving on from Doug McDermott, wouldn't be a, a surprise for me? And I honestly think if it's available, the Spurs should uh, go that route.
1: Yeah. No, I, and I think that's totally fair. I think that's totally fine. Now, like, if they figure out a make, way to make him work next season, 100%, you said, okay, well, maybe they can find a guy who's, like, a similar archetype. Man, they drafted him at 41. Now, I'm not the highest on, on Joe camp. We've talked about him a little bit. We've joked here and there about his, you know, 42-inch vertical. Like, he's vertical. Not, <laughs> he's not that guy, like, athletically. It's not that functional. You know, the lateral mobility isn't great. The feet are a little bit heavy. Defensively, the only player on the roster with a worse defensive field goal percentage than Doug was Joe. The only reason it didn't count was because he didn't have enough defensive field goal attempts to qualify for the leaderboard. But he let his opponents shoot almost 63% from the field. So it's not like he's he, It's <laughs> like he was taking lessons from Doug on more than one area. Right. Like he was learning the, the ins and outs of the trade as a shooter. We heard that, you know, Tom Orsborne, Jeff McDonald. Uh, Mike Finger from the San Antonio Express News. All year we're talking about how Doug McDermott. He's taking Joe Wees camp under his wing. He's teaching him the ins and out of off-ball shooting, how to speed up that release. He's working with Chip England. But man, keep him away from him defensively. Like it was, it's not working. It's not gonna work. But I mean, for Joe, all jokes aside. Maybe he can be a little bit more serviceable defensively. Maybe they can unlock some things. You know, he is just a rookie. He didn't get a ton of playing time. Maybe that sample size was too small to read into the really bad defensive numbers. At the same time, three-point percentage wasn't great. The shot's still looking a little bit slow for the NBA level. We'll see how that works in year two. But as far as the players we mentioned, I think those are all the guys that we really need to talk about. We'll go more in depth during the offseason. We're going to talk about the draft more in the offseason and stuff, but Let's go ahead and, for our last segment here, revisit some of our boldest preseason predictions. We hit the nail right on the head with, I think, a couple of these guesses, and we definitely whiffed on some freezing cold takes here and there, man. Like, some of these were really bad, and that's all right. Because I think you can puff your chest out a, a bit about those takes that you were right about, right? You can say, yo, I was right about that, you know, like, bang the drum on that, be proud of that. At the same time, you can get exposed for bad takes and and be fine with that cuz nobody's batting 100 right like you, no one's perfect so why don't we play a game real quick of rock paper scissors we'll see who gets to go first in and talking about some of the takes we were right about and wrong about so ready all we're right. going to do rock paper scissors shoot you ready for that okay Alrighty. let's go rock paper scissors shoot i got scissors, all right, scissors. What do you okay, have? okay well scissors all right one more time uh, okay. rock paper scissors shoot all right, scissors ah, twice. Scissors again, all, right, all right, all right, all right, all right. No more scissors. Okay, one more, one more. Third time's the charm. Here we go. Rock, okay. paper, scissors, shoot. All right, all right, ah, you I, okay. Yeah, you okay, know okay, scissors okay, three okay. times. Okay. All, right, all
0: right, Okay. I, I, I tried, tried to switch it back? up on him. I, tried to I, thought, I thought I was going to get him thought, with the paper. And I, okay, so I think for me, I'll go, I'll go with two first off the bat. So the one I was right about heading into the season, it's not on the rundown, but it's something that I was right about was I thought the Spurs were going to rank bottom three in isolation frequency uh, coming into this year. The shot creation thing, guys, like, I know y'all are probably sick and tired of me saying this, but I know isolation numbers don't tell the whole story when it comes to that, but I think just in terms of just on-ball creation, I think isolation numbers for particular players more so than the team, but for individual players, you would be able to, like, you can kind of feel it out a little bit and you'll be able to tell. And so when I looked at the Spurs, I was like, I know they're not going to run very many, Uh at very many isolation plays just kind of kind of based on where they were at where they are you know kind of heading into the season and so last year as a team they were at 5.2 percent this team they're at three point uh they're at 5.2 percent which ranked still in the in the in the kind of bottom half of the league but it was like in the mid-20s uh this year they were dead last in the nba in isolation uh frequency so that's one thing i was right about i just was not expecting them to do I mean, even with a he- ISO heavy guy like Demar Derozan, I was like, "Yeah, there's no way they're gonna <laughs> actually, you know, pound the rock like that." You know, no pun intended. Uh, and as far <laughs> as things I was wrong about, it has to be their defensive rating, man. I thought the Spurs were gonna be a top ten defense for the bulk of this year, and I didn't think they were gonna go to the playoffs. But me and you both said, and I've said it on New Risk, even your Twitter spaces uh, and other articles that they're going to have to adopt the Knicks philosophy from the previous season of Absolutely. high, high, high-level defense and just adequate, efficient offense, right? That's what that, that was going to be it. And I know that sounds super simple. Obviously, it's much deeper than that. But I think that was going to be your favorite term is bread and butter. That was going to be their tortilla and butter, like nobody's <laughs> business, bro. And it just didn't happen, Noah. As a team, team defense for them, they they struggled. I mean, they they do everything to funnel towards Alcaperto, and I get that. I respect that. But they just get next to nothing as a unit. I mean, they just look like a team that just struggles defensively to play as one. And I just think that was probably my biggest whiff uh, was just their defensive this their overall defensive ability this year.
1: Yeah, and and I think hey, like we're all wrong. I'm gonna go ahead and start off with something I was wrong about. So coming out of the preseason, I wasn't quite on the Josh Primo train that this guy's going to be, you know, surprise rookie. He's going to surprise everybody. I know some people were even calling him like a a mini Kobe, and that was too far. (laughs) But for me, I was still pretty high or at least riding the high from his preseason performances. He was shooting really well from three. He looked fluid. He looked confident. And so my number one prediction was... No doubt in my mind, I said this on the podcast verbatim when I was doing it by myself, the preseason prediction. I said, I'm confident that Josh Primo will blow the rookie record for uh, three-pointers made in a single game out of the water. He's going to tie that. Easy. Easy tie. It's just six. He's going to do that at least once during the season. Dame, he he shot 30.7% from three this season as a rookie. The most he made was three. He did that four times. Didn't even come close. Like, didn't even come close. I was very wrong about that. Wasn't even close to being right about that. Now, one thing I am really proud about, though, on the other end of the spectrum, is I said, I think the Spurs are gonna finish 34 and 48, and they're gonna earn their first top ten picks since Tim Duncan. Dame, they finished Perfect. exactly Perfect. 34 and 48. I don't know how I did yep. it. I predicted it right. Not it not a game lower, not a game more, exactly 34 and 48. And they have the ninth best lottery odds in the 2022 NBA draft. So At this point, the only way I could be wrong about the second part about them getting a top 10 pick is if somehow the team 10 and 11 hopped in front of them in the lottery and pushed them to the 11th pick. That's not going to happen. So I'm confident, again, I know I said I'm confident before, but I'm confident that the second part of this is going to come true. Dame, I'll throw it back to you. What are a few more that you were either proud or maybe not so proud about and you don't have to stick with negative we can go positive here but really whatever you want to share just so we can reflect on some of these predictions we made because i mean they're all over the place i mean as you might expect it to be sometimes
0: oh yeah 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 for me so your your record was perfect so mine was actually 33 and 49 and i remember getting a lot of slander on that tweet and one thing (laughs) i'll never do again I'll, i'll never like i'll never delete tweets like that again I should have just kept it up, but I don't know. Sometimes guys, I just I get them I have bad anxiety. I just I just be acting dumb sometimes. I should have never deleted it. And so (laughs) I think for me, seeing you hit that on the that nail on the head is beautiful. Credit to you, bro. Cause yeah, I, I I was figured I was like, I wonder what Noah said. I didn't remember, but yeah, that's so interesting. That's good. For me, I think one thing I think the pace is the interesting is the interesting point. I don't remember having an exact opinion on where they would rank in pace, but I figured they were gonna be a heavy transition team. Or just in general, I think they were just gonna be pushing the ball up the floor a ton and they actually finished sixth in pace. So I would say that I wasn't necessarily right or wrong about that, but it definitely surprised me. Now, in terms of their offense, that's one thing for me, Noah. I thought they were gonna be a bottom five offense in the NBA. I believe, in terms of offensive rating, I believe they're they rank in, in the top half of the league or they're, I think 16, they're 16th or 17th or something yeah, like they're that. 16th. Yeah, yeah. So if you would have told me that heading into this year, I'll, I'm not gonna lie to you with my thoughts of them being a top 10 defense in terms of defensive rating and the 16th best offense, no, I probably would have said they were going to be very close or actually make the playoffs because that that would have been much better than what I would have thought. Yeah. So I think for me, that's one thing I was wrong about. The pace thing really surprised me though. And one last thing, I was wrong. I never, regardless of how you feel, I never envisioned DeJounte Murray making the all-star team this year. Just flat out. Didn't, Didn't see it coming. I didn't see... 20 regardless how you feel about the numbers as well i mean we you know how we feel dejounte making the all-star team was something i didn't expect if you would have told me he would have been an all-star i would have been like okay like you're crazy take the silver and black glasses off right uh but no he was an all-star this year that's something that i definitely got to take on the chin because maybe like i said in my uh, last pound in the rock uh, preview piece maybe i just underestimated uh you know some of the pieces on this team right Maybe that could be happening with Kelvin Johnson right now as well, right? And you know, in my personal opinion, so uh, I think Dejounte's excellent season was something I didn't see coming, and something that I would definitely say I was wrong about.
1: And I think for me on the podcast, and th- these are all like, if you want to hear my takes that I made to double check if I'm telling the truth, you can go back and listen to the preseason podcast. I think it's episode fifteen or sixteen. You can check it out. But I said I think Dejounte will start making headway towards becoming an all-star, like you. I did not have him making the all-star team. When I say making headway, I meant like, okay, people will start talking about him like, you know, this is a guy who you may want to watch out for. He may make an all-star team in like the next two, three years. He made it this year. There's, there's literally no way around that. And I'm fine to be wrong about that too. Because as we've talked about on other episodes of this podcast, you've heard it in Spaces, you've probably seen it in my writing. One of the things that I'm okay with being wrong about is how good a player is or may become. If they exceed those expectations, that is fantastic, not just for the fan base, but it's phenomenal for me. As a writer, somebody who covers this team, who breaks down video, who records podcasts, like seeing a player become an all star level player, that makes my job more fun. It's just simply more fun to watch a really good player. Now, do I still have doubts about DeJounte? Sure. I don't think he's like an MVP guy. I don't think he's like necessarily all NBA, but he is an all-star. You can't take that away from him. Injury replacement all-star, say whatever you want, still an all-star. There's injury replacements every year, Exactly. every single year. You cannot take that away from him. The other thing that I thought was interesting is I said, okay, he's going to lead the team in scoring. He's going to be at or near 20 points per game. I got that one right again. I actually wasn't expecting him to pass up 20 I was thinking more like 18, 19, 20 high end. So the fact he got to 21.1, I think that's pretty impressive. The aggression in the second half of the season, hopefully he can build upon that. The, I think the last thing that I will say I definitely got wrong was a, about the defense, just like you. Uh, I, I really did think that this was going to be a top 10 defense. They had a guy like Devin Vassell, who seemed like a really solid defender off ball. You got guys like Derek White and DeJounte Murray, who uh, ostensibly looked like they could be one of the best defensive backcourts in the NBA. Didn't work out that way. You had Yaka Pirtle. You had Keldon Johnson, who looked like he would be at the very least average on the defensive end. And then on the backups, you got KBD. You've got a guy like Trey Jones, who was ACC Defensive Player of the Year whenever he was in college. So I just thought that it had the recipe for being a really good defense. Didn't work out that way. You know, the, the way that they fought over screens was less than encouraging. They funneled everything to to Yaka Pirtle. They also allowed the worst a field goal percentage in the league at mid range, which like you want to force teams into shooting in the mid range. And for some reason, whether it's luck, whether it's, you know, maybe they really just didn't have great coverage. That's not how it worked out for them. Worst defensive field goal percentage in the league from mid range. So I, I really should, I feel like this is something I, I probably should have seen with guys like Doug, Keldon, a lot of question marks behind Yaka Pirtle, uh, even question marks in terms of Trey Jones, Brent Forbes. I mean, like, there was always going to be question marks. So I'm not sure, other than me just really being in like the Spurs fantasy land for a little bit, why I thought that they were going to be elite. But it's something I'm willing to be wrong about because, look, man, as we mentioned, you can't bat 100. You're not going to be perfect on all these takes. But I think it's interesting (laughs) to look back at these because I'm going to do the same thing next year. I'm going to give you my predictions. Hopefully I I bat closer to 100. But it's interesting to see how progressions or even disappointments – can really leave your predictions looking insane, like by the end of the year, man. Yeah,
0: no, nah, man. I think for me, I mean, and I've learned a lot, you know, from this season overall. Just kind of looking at things, and it's really forced me to kind of really grind the tape a little bit more than you know I've I'm used to, which I enjoy, man. I really, really do. And especially, I mean, like I mentioned in the intro to the to the show, like joining a place like pounding the rock, like joining SB Nation stuff, like man, it, it just you just got to be next level, bro. Like you just got to keep going and keep going. And I think watching a team like the Spurs this year really makes you whether you're a fan or a writer whatever it really kind of tests what you think you know about the game you know what i mean because i think for me i really thought man the the spurs are going to be that top 10 defense like i like i would have put money on that (laughs) no like i'm I'm not a betting man but i would have put money so that's just kind of where i where i'm at with it man but before we kind of close it out bro it's been a blast this season was super dope really really glad to have worked with you throughout all this year. I hope it continues and I hope we continue to just kill it on the pod because I'm not gonna lie, I feel like this is one of my best episodes I've ever done. I feel like really, really solid about this one. But it's a credit to you, bro. So I appreciate you for always motivating me, always be keeping me on track with this bro. And uh let's kill it this off season bro. I'm excited.
1: Of course man, and, and really like I, I do appreciate everything you do for me here. I know we've talked about it before. We've let the fans know like what you do for this show, but it's also about holding me accountable, about helping making me better, not just as like a podcast producer or, or, or like a script writer, but like as an editor, as a writer, just like everything that you do. I see all the work that you put into it, and I wake up and on like the days that I'm tired, I'm like, dang, I don't really feel like doing much today. I see like, man, Dame is not just writing for our site. He's not just on the podcast with me. He's not just writing for multiple outlets. You know, he doesn't just have his own podcast. He's going to school. He's got a job. Like, I have no right to be tired. So I appreciate you for, for pushing me, making me better. But again, man, I, I think this does it for today. So one more time, thank you so much for joining me on the pod. And go ahead and plug anything you want. Let Spurs fans know where they can follow you on social media, where they can find your wonderful basketball, football, any other sports that you want to shout out, anything, any of your content, because it's great. You're a great dude. Appreciate everything you do, and the floor is yours.
0: Yeah, yes sir, brother, the feelings mutual. Y'all can go ahead and follow me on Twitter though at DA Bartonic. That's D A B A R T O N E K. Almost forgot my last name there. Uh go ahead and watch <laughs> all my all my football, my Washington uh, Commanders content on Riggo's Rag has been doing some excellent uh, numbers in terms of just viewers and comments and everything like that. I greatly appreciate it. Uh, I do stuff for the Spurs uh, on the, about the Spurs on Pounding the Rock. Obviously the podcast here, I have the Dame's Dropback podcast uh i have i cover texas state stuff for uh bobcat insider just a lot of stuff a lot of moving pieces a lot of moving parts uh and hopefully i have some cool news to share with everyone on the next episode right so thank you again noah for having me bro this is super dope and i'm all all the way out here in oklahoma i'm in i'm in you know thunder territory (laughs) right now but i'm still pounding the rock you dig so i appreciate it bro this was dope
1: and, and so y'all know, even though the good guys are headed to an early vacation, Dame and I are still going to be, keep. you know, we're going to be recording regularly. Like San Antonio, they have a busy offseason. There's going to be a lot of content. We're going to be doing some draft content. We want to bring draft experts, special guests that are plugged into collegiate, international basketball, because I think this is the most ex- exciting part of the year, right? Like we love the season. We love learning from the season. But the offseason, that's where you generate hope, where you generate excitement. Whoever you pick in the draft, that person could end up being instrumental to getting you back to the promised land, so to speak. So, really excited to get started on all the draft content. We'll be we'll, we'll be we'll be starting that up soon. But again, thank you so much for joining us, and thanks to everybody who tuned in for this edition of Alamo City Limits. And for those of you listening at home, make sure to subscribe and leave us a five star review on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. We've got an amazing staff of writers over at Pounding the Rock, including myself, Dame Bruno, JR, Marilyn. Zach, uh, Jesus, like we've got a dream team over there. So really do us a favor, go check out our stuff. And until next time, Spurs fans, take care.